Hello there. You're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Thursday, the 31st of March. Today, I'm joined by Ines Pinheiro, who is a Watson's Daily ambassador. Hi there, Ines. How are you today? Hello, Peter. I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. All good. Um, So today, which story did you find most exciting out of today's um, plethora of uh, exciting stories in Watson's Daily? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I thought it was a bit difficult to find the story today, actually, because there were so many interesting stories. But yeah. I decided to go for the Visa and MasterCard story. So yep. this is a Daily Telegraph's article, uh, and it goes on to say that retailers are suing Visa and MasterCard. It mm-hmm. shows that over 100,000 British companies are taking the two-card giants through the courts, alleging that... That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's 100,000. I mean, I don't think you, you get this that often. You know, not, not in the really. UK. It's you, you, you associate class actions, I think, with, with America, generally. Yes. So this is, this is pretty amazing. Yes, it is. And it's quite interesting, actually, because we're talking about uh, 100,000 British companies in the travelling hospitality industry. Mm. And so uh, they, they are essentially allegations that uh, Visa and MasterCard, they are charging, you know, large and higher like, corporate mm. fees on corporate credit cards. And mm-hmm. so essentially they, they, they charge fees on corporate credit cards that so they can be up to six times the maximum level. Cheeky. And, yeah, no. It's Cheeky. Very <laughs> naughty. It is indeed. And the traveling hospitality businesses will be represented by uh, this um, firm called Hackers Banker. And they yeah. are saying that the companies are exploiting the market dominance. These, yeah. When I say the companies, I mean Visa and MasterCard. Mm-hmm. And so lawyers claim that MasterCard and Visa are you know, exploiting the market dominance through a loophole that allows them to charge up to 1.8% per transaction mm. in corporate mm. credit cards. Mm. And so just to bring a bit of context, in 2015, the UK introduced laws that cut the charges at 0.3% mm-hmm. per credit cards mm-hmm. and 0.2% per debit cards. Mm-hmm. But the rules didn't apply to corporate credit cards. Mm. And so this is what lawyers will be claiming in the mm. in this case yeah actually. and yeah. this is interesting because you know i mentioned this involves uh the traveling hospitality sectors mm-hmm. and this is because these sectors are more exposed to corporate credit cards charge yeah. because they provide services such as yeah. flights hotels yeah food and drink and to to company employees essentially mm. And so, you know, we've seen that MasterCard and Visa have faced a number of legal challenges in recent years for fees charged before mm. UK laws were changed. You know, mm. what I just explained with it, they were changed in 2015. And mm-hmm. so in November last year, I don't know if the listeners will remember, but in November last year, Amazon customers were blocked from using uh, Visa credit cards for kind of similar reasons mm. and at the time amazon blamed its decision on high fees visa charges for processing credit card transactions mm. and and so kind of the implications of that it's of course i mean this decision uh meant that amazon could face losing nearly i think it was something around let me just double check yes 1.4 billion pounds from mm. UK shoppers mm-hmm. if, if visa credit cards had been banned from the website 
And mm. of course, Visa too would have lost huge kind of revenues that yeah. customers would have been kind of forced to use all the cards. Uh, so, so now we are faced with a similar case in the sense that you know the traveling hospitality industries have been affected uh, mm-hmm. by similar kind of circumstances. So, mm. what's your take on this, Peter? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, Visa and Mastercard have had it all their own way for quite some time. Um, I mean, we hear less about Amex, I guess, but um, mm-hmm. you know, Visa and Mastercard are the, are the big ones. Um, I think, you know, if this is true, I can, look, I don't know. I'm not a legal expert. I don't know the details of the case, but, you know, I I can imagine <laughs> that, you know, they are sort of taking the mick um, because yeah. it's easy, right? Because if it was um, a, a normal credit card and an individual, you, you know, everyone, uh, uh, more people would say, hey, hold on, what's going on here? Um, whereas because this is corporate credit cards, um, people, I, I suspect that there's less complaints and it's just, oh, well, this is just a cost of doing business. And so no one really questions it. And the thing is, is that I would also argue that actually usage of corporate credit cards is probably going to be on bigger ticket items than most other things, because they'll be used for things like uh, tra- you know, um, train tickets, plane tickets, mm-hmm. um, meals out, um, you know, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, because what you generally have to do is uh, increasingly these days is you have to say, right, it's going to cost this much. I, I, you know, I want to take a client out. It's going to cost this much. And you have to fill in some form, um, give it into you know, HR or something, they have to approve it. And then you're allowed to go out. And usually they have limits these days. Uh, A lot of places will have limits. You're only allowed to spend up to £20 or £30 or something for a lunch with someone uh, per person or £50 for, you know, there are different scales of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, and then you claim it back afterwards, you know, claim it back on expenses. Um, so I think that there's less people aren't really looking at the charge. You know, the, certainly mm. the person using yeah. the cards is not really looking at the charge. Yeah. The finance department may be looking at the charge, but they're just they've got so many things coming in that they probably just want to get the thing processed. So yeah, actually, no. I can imagine that this I can imagine. I don't know the details, but I can imagine that this is a major issue. Yeah, because, well, now, now that you, you mentioned Amex, um, mm-hmm. well, my, my understanding, if, if you kind of look at this situation, it is understood that some credit cards providers like Amex, uh, they, mm-hmm. they kind of charge horrendous fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the reason why if you go to off-licenses, for example, you know, you, you they're not going to accept Amex credit cards payments. Sounds, they can't so, accept so, those, pay, those charges, essentially. Sorry. So it sounds like you you do you, do you go to the off license oh, quite yes. a lot then? <laughs> yes, I do, and I try to pay with my Amex card because okay. you, know, you you have really good opportunities to collect travel points. For example, oh, right, okay. these sort of businesses they can't really accept uh, these uh, Amex credit cards yeah. payments because they can't afford the charges. I've... And again, sorry. No, it's funny. I mean, it's like it, it is a bit of an aside. This, but <laughs> I've noticed that over the years, you know. If you say, "Oh, do you do you accept Amex?" It's almost like you're swearing at them. Uh, yeah. Quite a lot of places, you're insulting them. They're like, "No, we do not accept Amex." Yeah. I'm like, really? But 
it is, I, I believe it is because of the charges. Yes, um, and in fact, if you go to Europe, you will yeah. find less and less places where you can pay with Amex just because the charges are really high. Yeah. But what you mentioned there is really interesting, you see, because with corporate credit cards, people are less, like they, they pay less attention to these charges because of the, the mm. way they use these credit cards. And, mm. and so, uh, especially linked to MasterCard and Visa, it's less mm-hmm. likely that they will be aware of these charges. Yeah. But now we are facing, you know, these issues to do with the hospitality mm. and travel industry which is really interesting because it poses questions in respect of the future of mm. the kind of um, corporate industry in respect of this credit card mm. uh, credit card payments and something else that came to my mind as well when I was reading this article is um, well this could certainly pose challenges in, in, in what appears to be that we are entering a cashless society yep. and for people that were looking at the news yesterday there was a lot going on in the newspapers mm. um, you know, highlighting how Britain is becoming cashless society against the public will that's what the newspaper said right. but essentially just because uh, you know after the pandemic he essentially accelerated the switch to card and digital payments and mm. um, yeah so so what do you think peter yeah i mean i think um we are moving towards cashless society um they're always going to be people that prefer cash and they're always going to be campaigners who say um you know we need to make sure that we don't completely phase out cash because this will alienate um especially a lot of vulnerable people um and I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be ultimately bad news for companies like Delarue, which is a, a FTSE, I don't know if it's a FTSE 100. I know it, it's definitely in the past it's been in the FTSE 100, but, you know, it prints banknotes and things. And, and yet, if everyone's moving towards being a cashless society, as some, I think one or two Scandinavian countries are, are like that, um, you know, once you start doing that, then they've got no business left. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's the commercial aspect, there's a social aspect of people, some elements of society still preferring the feel of cash. Um, but, you know, but it also depends on where you are as well. You know, so, I mean, I did say that some uh, societies are ve- moving very much towards cashless, but there are other places. I mean, I would suggest e- Japan, I believe even now, is still more of a cashless, uh, a cash society mm-hmm. where people carry lots of cash, um, much higher amounts than people carry here, for instance. Um, but I think what wherever you are, I think that the move towards cashless has certainly accelerated under lockdown because yeah. people don't want to. I mean, I think that there were some shops who didn't actually accept cash, yeah. you know, because you, you're not, you know, transferring germs and stuff and, and you know other people's germs on there as well so i mean it's it's um uh yeah i mean it's it's i don't know how um i don't know how it's going to go it, it looks like it is going towards that way um yeah. and that will of course if we do go towards being cashless society great news for visa and mastercard mm. because they're obviously cards but the problem with for visa and mastercard i think is that you know they i think they've had it very good for a long time and maybe um you know now people are looking a bit more closely at at how they do stuff yeah no i i totally agree so of course with this move you could see that perhaps there will be less fraud because uh, every payment transaction will be kind of traceable 
and there'll be more scrutiny in respect of these, perhaps even more centralised finance in respect of these as well. Uh, mm. But again, if individuals are subject to these fees, then it, it really poses a problem for certain businesses and certain industries like the travel and hospitality industry. Mm. Of course, I mean, we'll have to wait and see what the courts say what they say in respect to this uh, specific case uh, what we are just experiencing right now in respect to these two companies mm. uh, but then arguably you could then say that if you know we move towards a cashless society then perhaps competition could come in and, and they will have to do you know competition mm. will have to do its magic mm. to try yeah. and provide um, customers with a cheaper option but yeah. I we, we have to wait and see but it's just kind of interesting to see how this uh everything is kind of evolving really rapidly i would say yeah absolutely absolutely right so peter what's your favorite story today okay well today um going to talk about boris johnson um so um over the last week or two um he has been um getting on the sort of alternative energy bandwagon and has been looking to press for um rapid expansion um of offshore and onshore wind farms as well as nuclear and um it's quite interesting because again this actually is another article in the telegraph today um is it's talking about how he is now he is getting more more lukewarm about the idea of onshore wind farms um although he still remains um committed to offshore wind farms and nuclear and i think that the reason is because there was going to be um there were rumours that he was going to be changing, that the, well, the government was going to be changing the rules um, so that it would be a lot harder to object to a onshore wind farm, you know, if presumably if you're a resident or something. Um, but it looks like they're not going to bring that in. They, they were looking at it because apparently the reforms were proposed in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, they were looking at it, but they just, they, it looks like they're getting cold on it. And it, I think that is from because of pressure from MPs. Um, and I wonder, you know, is some of that to do with the whole party gate, you oh, know, me- and, and then trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to sort of make them, you know, sort of take more account of MPs uh, or look like he is um, and, and appease them maybe. I mean, I, I can imagine that, you know, if you're a resident, um, I would say a lot of people would not like, especially if you're in a beautiful area of the countryside or something, you may really object, you may genuinely object to having um, a massive wind farm um, next, near, you know, near where you live, because obviously yeah. you will have chosen that area. Uh, it may well be because it's quiet and it's beautiful and all that kind of thing. And then suddenly they plonk a few of those in, um, in, in fields next door and it changes your whole, your whole reason for being there. Yeah. At, plus the fact, um, as I think I've said before, uh, apparently it takes immediately takes 8% off the value of your house. Yeah. That's you know, where you live. So, so, you know, all of those kinds of things, um, you, you know, they're, they're, they're coming together I mean, obviously, everyone now is trying to look for energy alternatives so that we don't have to rely on Russia. Um, And this is just one of, you know, just this is just one of the things. But I think um, even even so, it's still going to take a while before um, we see much of a difference. And in the interim period, 
um, I think that things are going to get quite difficult on the energy yeah. front. I mean, even we were um, in in another bit of today's uh, Watson's Daily, I was saying that in Germany, you know, they they are talking about rationing gas. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know, yeah, it's it's inter- interesting because it seems that the government is actually kind of having to to see the public reaction to see yeah. something that's the conversation we were having before mm. uh, uh, you know in, in a call this morning which it was really interesting because again we've just come in from a really stressful period you know mm. everything we've experienced during lockdown you know all the difficulties flowing from COVID-19 and everything mm. and you know the, the government they can't have all the answers mm. this is like a really uncertain period and they have to really kind of get some sort of um guidance from the pub from the public as well as mm. to where where to go what's the best way to do things but in respect of this yes it's definitely really um important to kind of plan this energy transition and everything but mm. you know, in respect of wind farms solar farms mm. it's just really complicated because again mm. you know if it evaluates the value of, of your property um it, it poses really kind of huge challenges for people that they can't have the, the property valued of course but also uh you know kind of living next to a wind farm it's it's really noisy as well you know mm. it's like living next to an airport so mm. not everybody will be willing to see that and you know it poses really difficult challenges for people um the other you know the other solution will be solar farms but like we were mm. we were discussing about this not long ago you know, mm. how, how affected could solar farms be in the UK, really? Mm. It requires a huge investment and how effective could they be? So, yeah. interesting questions. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, we, I think like we, we, we have said, I think, earlier this week that, uh, um, you know, if someone could invent uh, uh, <laughs> something that, that um, generated loads of electricity from rain, um, we would be like the world leaders, yeah. um, I think. Um, solar, I can imagine that is not going to be nearly as good as as wind um, for for the for the UK. Um, but I can understand. Obviously, I can understand the objections. Um, I I would have thought, yes, solar probably not as problematic because that's sort of lower to the ground, not yeah. so much of an eyesore. Um, but it's a question of are we going to get, I think you said, yeah. you know, are we actually going to get anything? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, to, maybe to power maybe more than a kettle or something. Yeah. Um, well, I have to say, oh my God, that's funny. I have to say the past, the past few weeks, they've been actually quite sunny for the UK. It's uh, actually that's right. impressive. It has, <laughs> it has indeed. By the way, yeah. it was quite funny. Um, one, one, as this, again, as an aside, but I, you know, one place I was working, um, you know, I had, there were, I was surrounded, I was in the European team. And one of the guys was Italian and he said to me, why is it? Why is it you British? He said, you always talk about the weather. Well, and I said, yeah. because, and I said, well, because I suppose it does change quite a lot because he said, it's always good where I, it's always good where I live. <laughs> and I, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Just stop showing off. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, everyone's <laughs> going on about that. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's interesting as well, looking at the way it just, it seems to me that the way the government, I think it's noticeable the way the government seems to make big decisions these days. Um, and I think we've sort of seen this under COVID where they'll say something major and then we're going to bring this in or we're going to do this. And then 
they see what the public reaction is and then they either implement it or change it and then implement it because yeah. i and i think that i mean some people criticize that and they say well you know the government doesn't know what they're doing and blah blah, blah. i i would actually argue that that in many ways is actually quite an efficient way mm-hmm. of trying to gauge what the public opinion is yeah. because i would guarantee if you if you sent if you i don't know did some survey of the public you wouldn't get very much of a response to say you know what do you think of this but if there is something and it looks like it's going to come in and you don't like it then um you're much more likely to sort of you know get involved in the discussion um so i i think that you know maybe that's what they were doing recently yeah. you know been talking about oh we're going to do this this and this and 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 um you know maybe if everyone had made a massive objection to nuclear maybe they would they would that would be under the microscope as well but yeah. um but anyway yeah i mean it's it's interesting it's think- relevant we have to do we have to deal with this because um there is the shortage um, it's not really going to do much for us right now, um, but um, I guess that Bojo's got to make it look like he's doing something um, to address this problem. Yeah, no, it's it, it, and and also if you if you think about this, is kind of kind of um, like a democratic move to also kind of hear what people have to say about something. Yeah actually something that is really important which is mm. you know this transition to green energy uh, mm. everybody wants to give their opinion and and it's hear different opinions as well yeah. especially because like i was saying you know government they can't have all the answers no you know, we've just experienced a huge horrendous period flowing mm. from the pandemic and mm. again in respect of the energy transition uh it's something that is in development at the moment so it'll be important and and, and really great to see what people have to say and i suppose yeah. that's kind of the approach they're taking so i mean as yeah. long as it works i don't see anything wrong with it as long as it works yeah no absolutely no i think that um yes if we get to the right conclusion then that's a good thing i guess that you know as long as the destination's okay you yeah. can take a bit of a round a round trip perhaps um yeah but um but anyway uh so there we go uh something philosophical to end on uh, today <laughs> um so um so anyway well look um we'll, we'll end it there but uh, thank you very much indeed ns for your thoughts today thank you. um and we'll be back again for the last time this week when we tomorrow um so yeah so there you go um but later on um today i'm going to be doing a summary of the month uh i'm not sure whether i'm going to well, well i'll be doing a call after that um as well so if if you want any of that those kinds access to those calls please um, look on today's watson's daily and the details are all there it's all good anyway thank you very much indeed have a lovely day and uh we'll be uh, back again soon many thanks thanks bye-bye bye